I'm Lloyd Freeman, and this is Dimensions of Diversity. We don't talk about it enough, but families do have members who are neurodivergent. Uh, Families do have members who are living with disabilities. And balancing work and life is already hard, but it's especially hard if you do not have the proper support and assistance to meet your individual needs. My guests today, they have a solution to just that. Please welcome Melissa Danielson and Melanie Fountaine, co-founders of Joshin, to the podcast. Welcome. Hi, Lloyd. Thanks so much for having us. This is Melissa. Hi, thanks so much. We're looking forward to the conversation today. This is Melanie. I am too. Uh, I have already, of course, done a lot of um, research on both of you, but Melissa, Melanie, just to get us started, can you please give our listeners a bit uh, of your background and talk about how you decided to embark upon careers in the accessibility space? Yeah, so um, Melanie and I grew up um, sort of taking a step back to childhood, all the way back to childhood. Um, Melanie and I grew up with a brother, Josh, who was born with developmental disabilities, um, a severe epilepsy disorder, and then throughout his life acquired brain cancer a number of times. So Melanie and I are twins. Um, We were two years younger than Josh. And so growing up with a brother with Um, you know, disabilities and complex needs, we really saw a lot of gaps in the system, especially for our family who grew up, um, I would say, you know, lower uh, middle class on a working farm, not a lot of resources, had to roll up our sleeves and figure out a lot of things on our own. You know, and and to be perfectly honest, we struggled. We struggled to find the right care at the right time for Josh, whether that was physical therapy, occupational therapy, or oncologists. Um, but we did it, and Josh um, was sort of that shining light um, in our lives, and probably one of our biggest teachers. Um, unfortunately, he did pass away. Um, it, I think it's o- over fourteen years now, and. You know, since losing Josh, um, Melanie and I joined forces and we wanted to do more for families and help families and individuals living with disabilities and neurodivergent needs um, help navigate um, and and find the right support a little bit easier. And so our first uh, company was actually that of a Medicaid provider. So we became um, licensed Medicaid providers providing home and community-based services in the state of Minnesota. And what that meant was we provided 24-7 support for adults with disabilities, all sorts of um, different varying needs in 24-7 settings, whether that's their homes, individual homes, or homes that and programs we created. Um, And through that experience, Melanie and I, um, after our first company was acquired, decided to embark on a new journey to to support families and saw technology emerging, you know, really supporting families and helping people get the right types of, uh, you know, things for their families. But we just felt like time and time again, um, families with disabilities were were continuously overlooked. So that's why Joshin is here today. And we partner with employers um, to support uh, employees who are caregiving for loved ones with disabilities and neurodivergent needs, actually employees who are neurodivergent or disabled mm. to self-disclose and get the right support, and um, managers and teams to better understand and become allies in the in the organization. So that was a long-winded answer, and I'm sorry, but the you know really deep-rooted history in what we're doing. No apologies at all. I think it was um, it was very beneficial because you you kind of walked us through a chronology, not only of your personal story, but kind of 
where we've come as a country. And so you talked about, of course, as more and more technology was was being used. And so as I was beginning to kind of reflect where this dovetails with the law, I never really thought about it myself, but the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed only in 1990. And maybe I'm dating myself, but to me, that does not seem like that long ago. Um, but that was when our country first started to take really substantial steps to protect and ensure equal opportunities for individuals with disabilities, which by the way, up to one in four adults in the United States have some type of disability. Um, so I, I don't know whether uh, Melissa or Melanie who wants to answer this, but how do you think the country has progressed since the passing of the Americans with Disabilities Act? Yeah, so I, this is Melissa again, Melanie. <laughs> I won't be the annoying twin to you and continue talk, but I really am passionate. <laughs> about this topic, Lloyd, because as you said, 1990s, it's not that long ago, and we have a long ways to go, but it was a start for us, right? So the ADA allows for um, oversight to ensure that the, I would say the bare minimums, mm -hmm. um, the essentials um, like uh, service dogs, um, accessibility into buildings, the right to request an accommodation in an organization that individuals are protected, right, when they make that request. However, the, the concept of or what's covered under the ADA is a minimum, right? And so when we partner with employers, we look at, well, how do we, how do we provide more? How do we make opportunity more accessible? Um, because our passion is really, okay, ADA open the door, but how do we continue to make that crack wider? Um, how do we kick it open? How do we kick it open? Yes. And and Judy Human um, was one of the biggest names in disability advocacy. She herself, just as a disabled person, fought alongside the Black Panthers back in the 70s to make sure that individuals with disabilities had access to public buildings. Like that wasn't even required, right? And so um, activists like that have, have made a lot of progress, but it, now it's us as allies, as individuals not living with disabilities, mm -hmm. it's our time to help really, really push the movement. And that is where leadership and organizations have an innate responsibility to be the voices of the employees who who really need that extra support, who, um, you know, need that advocacy. And that's why our, you know, what we do isn't just supporting individuals who self-identify, but it needs to be everybody. And it's the leadership's responsibility to, to crack open those, or to kick open those doors. And Melanie, what is that more? Yeah. So, you know, Melissa kind of laid it out that the ADA gives us the bare minimums, right? That makes sure that we yeah. have the accessibility ramps and make sure that we have, you know, the, the larger restrooms uh, with the, the larger stall doors, et cetera. But what is that extra? What is that more that we need to be yeah. thinking about? Um, first, I always think of easing that emotional labor of the person, right? So not putting it on the person who identifies as disabled or neurodivergent to be the educator to be the one pushing things forward. Um, some, I think, key topics that are part of the conversation right now um, is first, elimination of sub-minimum wage. Believe it or not, over 30 states in the US still legally allow disabled people to make less than minimum wage. And one of those people was our brother. Whoa, made, I did not know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he made, Melissa, did he make about $2 an hour? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And so 30 states still in the U.S. Cleaning today. bathrooms in hotels. Mm -hmm. yep. Just so that I am understanding, it is legal to pay individuals below the minimum wage simply because they identify with a disability? Correct. And what's more, and Melissa and I experienced this as Medicaid providers, 
let's say an individual receives um, Medicaid or Social Security, if if they do make above minimum wage and they make and they have more than two thousand dollars in their bank account, their Social Security is cut off yep. or reduced. And yep. so those two things in parallel can exist. Those two mm-hmm. things both have to be um, eradicated for people who identify as disabled or neurodivergent to be able to thrive. And so it's, again, it's this, it's the medical model in a social model and they're working against each other. So um, what's more, I think is, and Judy Human was a big advocate for this is safe and equitable travel. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's also barriers for individuals with physical disabilities, whether it's they're utilizing a scooter or a wheelchair, Mm -hmm. over 11,000 wheelchairs and scooters just in the last few years have been mishandled, destroyed. And these are life Mm -hmm. um, altering devices that people depend on them for their livelihood. And so these are just a few things, you know, even down to representation, um, only are less than 1% of um, advertising. Think of all the adver- ways we receive advertising on a daily basis, less than 1% depict somebody who's disabled. And then and I, Melanie, sorry to interrupt, but on that note, help yourself. the <laughs> disability population is the third largest buying power in the world, over $3 trillion of buying power, but we're not advertising for disabled people. We're not representing disabled people. That is why a big reason why we chose Josh and to be a venture backed company, because it is worth the investment to prioritize neurodivergent and disabled people, because you will see the return on your investment. And the same goes for employers who hire, engage and support neurodivergent and disabled people, because it is a third of your workforce but only, but over 62% are non-visible. So if you're not supporting them, you're going to lose that investment that you've made in hiring. Very much so. And, you know, if you're not incorporating individuals with disabilities, this entire population uh, of individuals into your diversity and inclusion strategy, because everyone, of course, talks about having a DNI commitment. Not many of them. I think only four percent of businesses mm-hmm. are actually focused on making, you know, different offerings inclusive for individuals with disabilities. Are actually um, uh, loud about, you know, of course, their support for this particular community. Uh, you mentioned before, Melissa, that you know you can end up losing those individuals as employees. Are there any other potential damages that uh, companies can end up realizing when they don't incorporate disability into their inclusion initiatives? Yeah. So first and foremost, fifty percent of employees leave because their needs are not being accommodated. So are you, you know, making it a safe place to self-ID so you can understand the demographics of your employees? Are you providing them the right support? You're not, half of them will leave. And that's, oh, I think it's over a 2 billion um, annual cost to employers. Um, And so there's that. And then you know, a third of the EEOC claims are related to lack of accommodation support or lack of approval of an accommodation request. So that's a huge indicator for the reason, not only because it's the right thing, and I think that's what the 
you know, our inclusion plans often share is like, here's the right thing for our community. But again, only, like to your point, Lloyd, only 4% are including it. Um, but it's going to, it's going to affect your bottom line on it. And it, you can let that affect it negatively through potential liability or turnover, or you can have it affect it positively um, by making that investment. And uh, employers who make that investment in disability inclusion see over 30% increase against their competitors in uh, that return on investment. So go back to the economic buying power, go back to the, you know, return on investment and potential liability costs. Why is it not higher than 4%, right? And then we think about representation, right? And it's not seeing disabled people in streamlined media in DEI plans. It's not happening fast enough. So people are not connecting those dots unless they have that personal experience. So those are the big changes that have to be made. But I do think it's important, you know, in this conversation to talk about how, you know, of course, the the advantages of making sure that you have a truly inclusive DNI plan, right? Um, it, it goes far beyond finances, uh, in my opinion. I mean, this is talking about the organization's brand and reputation, and that to me equals sustainability. You know, how long are you going to be uh, successful in realizing those particular financial gains? It, it depends upon how you are treating your employees, and so I'm hoping that that one of you can really give our listeners um, a, a download about the ways in which Josh and works with employers to provide support to their employees with disabilities. Yeah, I, I'm going to start actually, this is Melanie, I'm going to start with, um, you mentioned brand and the representation of the company. And I can think of a few of our um, amazing companies that we work with who started with their talent acquisition team. They did a full initiative to provide Josh and training to their talent acquisition team so that from the job posting through that entire process, um, that candidate can see that the company values and understands inclusion accommodations. Having those conversations right up front really gives a candidate the sense of the culture that they could potentially be coming into. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen great success with companies honing in on the talent acquisition team so that from day one, a candidate is getting a sense of that. Um, also, you know, when we were early on, we commissioned research to really get a sense of where companies were at with their journeys on um, disability and neurodivergence. And that's really where we um, started and created the foundation of how we integrate um, in companies. And we do that really from, like Melissa mentioned, from the person who identifies as all the way through the caregiver employee, um, educating managers and also supporting the person who um, maybe isn't showing their full self. Maybe they don't identify as disabled or neurodivergent, but they have a loved one at home that does. And they are spending hours doing research, finding mm -hmm. providers and Josh and navigators are, offload, are able to take that burden from them and help them navigate things like the Medicaid system, getting a care team, calling and vetting um, providers on their behalf and providing that information to them, really offloading that stress and time so that employee can be fully present at work. Earlier, I forget which of you talked about it, but you were really mentioning 
that there's an importance in having a culture where an individual feels comfortable enough to self-ID, um, mm-hmm. to be able to self-disclose, if you will, the fact that they have a disability, uh, the fact that there may be an accommodation that that they would need uh, at the particular um, workplace. Uh, but the stark reality is that fewer than 5% of employees in this country voluntarily report that they have a disability. Uh, my best guess here, Melissa, is that uh, individuals don't feel comfortable because there's a stigma associated with being, you know, a, a disabled individual and that, you know, you you may not be able to perform at a certain level or you're not going to be able to, you know, rise through the ranks, uh, mm-hmm. you know, at the same uh, growth rate as your colleagues. What are some of those reasons why employees do not feel comfortable self-disclosing it and why should they disclose? Yeah. Um, every reason you just said, I think, is through our research and when employees are self-disclosing to Joshin, um, you know, what we're hearing is exactly what you said, Lloyd, and that's the negative perceptions, right? The stigma. Um, you, they'll be labeled. Even if they have a loved one with a disability, these are parallel feelings, whether it's themselves or a loved one. They fear that assumptions are going to be made about them um, and it could impact their career. That's the reality. Mm-hmm. And how do employers, you know, you know, break those walls. And that's number one, the best thing you can do is when you have leaders who are disabled, neurodivergent, or have loved ones are storytell, share those stories, be vulnerable. What we hear from employers is um, when they come to Josh and a lot of the reason is their leadership opened the doors by talking about their own personal experiences. Hmm. I think that is probably one of the most powerful things you can do. And um, also partnering with companies like Joshin, where you're saying intentionally employees who need, um, you know, a a specialized neurodivergent disabled uh, support, we want you to self-ID. We're not going to find out who who is connected to those disabilities or neurodivergent needs, but we want to know, we want to make sure that you have the support that you need. So not only like from a leadership culture perspective, but actually having the tactical support in place. So you you can, a lot of companies are focused on recruiting um, disabled and neurodivergent talent, but I, you know, we often like to ask, but do you have the support for them? Is your culture ready? Are managers um, trained and competent and comfortable? You might be competent, but are you comfortable? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what we found is before, you know, going through a Josh and training, over 80% of managers were not comfortable talking about disability or neurodivergence. They were afraid of saying or doing the wrong thing because we all have good intentions, but intentions only go so far, right? It's the education and the understanding that have to get in place in order to make a positive impact. And so after working with Josh and, um, you know, flip that 80% around, 90% of uh, managers felt more comfortable because Joshin is a safe place for them to say or do the wrong thing because that's okay. That's why we're here. We're going to talk to you about a way to support neurodiv- better ways to support neurodivergent talent, better ways to support disabled employees, the right ways. When I say the right, I mean, we partner with the disability community to learn their preferences and yes. we make sure that our employers know what those are. And we partner on communications throughout those key months and through Throughout the year to make sure that the community is honored by their preferences. But that's what our employers can look for us to enable them to do. And so it is a multifaceted approach. Um, but what we're seeing in you know, just our experience is a year ago versus today, 
big difference in the mm-hmm. education process with employers. So much more openness. We're excited about the trend that we're seeing um, with the desire to remove the stigma. And that is a huge piece of it. We've gone through the last eight years of mental uh, mental health focus um, in employ- the employer space. And we think we're getting there when it comes to removing a stigma and disability and neurodivergent support is that tailwind um, that's on on the rise, um, just as it is in mental health, because there's a direct correlation between the two. I don't want any of our listeners to think that hiring or supporting individuals with disabilities is some gratuitous act. You know, this is not something that we're doing as a favor or as any kind of charitable work. Yeah. Individuals who can perform at the same level as any of their counterparts. Right. And so Melanie, can you talk to us a bit about some of those unique benefits that neurodivergent individuals or uh, those with disabilities can bring to the workplace? Yeah. And what's beautiful about it is whether employer employees are disclosing or not at work, as Melissa mentioned earlier, 30% of your workforce is disabled or neurodivergent. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. a fact, right? So um, they're benefiting from uh, not even knowing, but also just think of how much more could be untapped if it was a fully inclusive and safe place, if we unlocked um, accommodation supports. So neurodivergent individuals, have just a wealth of untapped talents, I think, in the workplace that we haven't even seen yet. They have distinct cognitive approaches, problem-solving techniques. Um, creativity. You know, creativity. I mean, as I, as somebody who is ADHD, um, I can complete a lot of work in a short period of time. I can become hyper-focused. Um, and adaptability, right? So somebody who's grown up... Um, who identifies as disabled or neurodivergent has had to learn resilience, adaptability, and determination. Mm -hmm. Those are amazing qualities of an employee and ones that can't be taught, right? So they're just innate. They're built in us over time. And I think we have yet to see what can be unlocked through really providing um, the ability for people to have their whole self at work. I love that. Can I just say, I know we keep saying, using the term neurodivergence, neurodivergent, neurodiversity, um, just to take a step back, that, like the ADA, is more frequently defined back in the 1990s, uh, Dr. Judy Singer um, really was has been focused on cognitive um, strategies and really what uh, neurodivergence, which is like... I would say that's more of the adjective, um, is the, how we think and learn differently. We have different speed receptors in our brain, oh, yeah. you know, different parts of our brain are functioning at different times at different speeds. It's just neurodiversity is the thinking and learning differently. When we use the term neurodivergent, that's the identifier. So it's, I identify as neurodivergent, right? And so neurodiversity is how, how, differently all of our brains work. Um, and so you might not identify as neurodivergent, but likely like you're going to think and learn different differently depending on your personality, <laughs> learning style. And so it's really about meeting people where they're at. And one of the ways, you know, if we're talking about unlocking ADHD, for example, 
One of the areas that neurodivergent people can struggle is different types of executive functioning skills. So Melanie mentioned, I have big bursts of energy. I can get a lot done at a given time, but then you need time where your brain is resting, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's building those um, patterns, those schedules for yourself, the routine to be highly functional and healthy. And so awareness is a big part of that for people who identify as neurodivergent. And so we have coaches that will work with you on you identify as ADHD. We don't require this diagnosis, by the way. No diagnosis is required. Um, you can just say, I self-identify. I don't have to have a formal diagnosis, but I know that I have ADHD and here's why. And our coaches help you function at a higher level, you know, so you can feel good about yourself. You can feel good about the work you do and your employer sees the upside of that. And that level of emotional intelligence for an employer to have, that level of empathy, again, I don't want it to seem as if this is something that is particular even to this community that we're discussing today. Right. That's how you should be interacting with all of your people, right? Mm, yeah. And so, uh, you know, people may need a little bit of extra time to be able to cope and deal with, you know, a social justice movement that is taking place. Or exactly. people may need to take some extra time to cope and deal uh, with something that's happening, you know, in their particular community. And maybe there's a, you know, an act of violence. There could be any number of things. And we have to make sure uh, that we are being, you know, emotionally available uh, for our employees. It's not simply individuals with disabilities. Again, yep. to your point, and talking about kind of the diversity that everyone brings into the workplace, everyone can and will at some point deal with something and may yeah. need a little bit of extra time or may need someone to be a little bit more empathetic in order for them to complete their task at hand. Um, it's treating people sure like humans. Sorry. It's just it we're humans. We're just humans. It is. It's yeah. a human issue. It's not a mm -hmm. disability issue. It's a human issue. Mm -hmm. uh, on that note, as, as, we, as we wrap up here, I want to make sure that folks kind of have their marching orders. Uh, so if you're listening to this episode, hearing about all the great work that you all do, but maybe you're an employer, maybe you're a manager, maybe you're just an ally or a colleague. What are the, the things that our listeners should do after this episode to help to raise awareness, encourage open uh, conversations in the workplace, or not just in the workplace, even in public settings? Yeah, I would say first and foremost, become self-educated. We mentioned Judy Human earlier. She passed away last year. Um, she has a book called The Rolling Warrior, and it gives you a look at the ADA and the disability rights movement. I think once you start putting yourselves in the perspective of somebody who's neurodiverse or neurodivergent or disabled, you're going to see the roadblocks that are in place and your job as an ally is to help remove them. So look at your organization and see A, do a control find on your DE&I plan. Is disability or neurodivergence mm -hmm. mentioned? That's what we do. We go to mm -hmm. all those DEI plans and we do a control find and most of them aren't. So raise awareness in your own organization. If there's an employee resource group, volunteer. Hear the stories of your fellow coworkers. Um, you know, just it doesn't take a lot to be an ally, but start with educating yourself. And I think too, one thing working with companies and teams that I hear really often, it seems super nuanced, but language, mm. but what is the language that you're using? It, that can be your starting point. It can be as, it seem as little as using language, but we all have ableism. We are mm -hmm. all ableist on some level on a daily basis. I have to think about the words that I use mm -hmm. so that I can do better and be better. Mm -hmm. And it is a daily thing to remind yourself. And we have blogs at joshin.com. 
that talk about these things that talk about language and preferences. It's free to everybody to to look to. So if you want to learn more about Joshin, joshin.com, um, you know, you can reach out to our team. We're happy to send resources. We have recommended podcasts, books, you know, Judy Human is one of many amazing advo- advocates out there. This is fantastic work that you're doing. Uh, Melanie, Melissa, thank you both for joining me. I can tell you that the legacy of your brother, I can, it just emanates through the two of you. And I just love the fact that his legacy is helping to make a, a more inclusive future. Thank you both for all that thank you do. Thank you. So thank much. you so much. Dimensions of Diversity is brought to you by Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney. Please rate and review our podcast. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to subscribe to hear all of our new content as we continue to explore ways in which we can all advance diversity and inclusion. I'm your host, Lloyd Freeman, and thank you for listening.